lot of times we don't realize or we don't recognize that the pitfalls or the circumstances or the adversities, the challenges, the setbacks that we go through could actually be something for someone else to learn from. And it could be a wake up call for somebody else. It could be that intersection point where they make a different decision in how they're leading their life just because you shared your own story. This is episode number 92 of The Inspiring Talk with Neeta Bhusan. Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm your host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potency. Nita Busan is the best-selling author of the book Emotional Grit, where she talks about building the emotional resilience to help people discover their true potential. She is the co-founder of Global Grit Institute. Nita is a known advocate for emotional intelligence and using the power of your story to discover who you are. She lost her parents and brother before she turned 19. As a young girl going through such a massive loss in her life, Nita went on to fulfill her parents' dream by becoming a cosmetic dentist, built a million-dollar dentistry practice. She was successful in the outside world, but something was not right inside her. After almost a decade, she realized she was trying to run away from the trauma of the losses and find comfort outside of her. She decided to leave her dentistry practice, share her story, and inspire others to the same. On our conversation, we explore the power of owning your story, when to share it, how it can act as a medicine for others, how you can develop self-compassion, become more vulnerable, and a lot more. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back inside this episode, guys. I have got Nita Vushan with me here. Nita, thank you so much for being here on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vijay. So, Nita, you often say your story is powerful and your story is someone else's medicine. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think that a lot of times we don't realize or we don't recognize that the the pitfalls or the circumstances or the adversities, the challenges, the setbacks that we go through could actually be something for someone else to learn from. And it could be a wake up call for somebody else. It could be that intersection point where they make a different decision in how they're leading their life just because you shared your own story. Because we think it's all about us. But when we shift the conversation and we think, well, how can me sharing my story about death or loss or a breakup or a failed business, how can that help other people? Well, it gives permission for others to share theirs. And that is really the power, power of vulnerability. Yeah. And um, you talk a lot about becoming authentic and sharing your story, right? And, uh, but one of the things that I see a lot of people struggle with is, hey, I don't know where do I begin? How do I even start 
on this journey of becoming authentic and sharing my story. So what would be like those, you know, starting point for people to start embracing their story and sharing it out to the world? Yeah, you know, I did a talk a couple of years ago around this very point, and it really begins with understanding what parts of the story you are ready to share. Because not all of the parts of the story are someone else's business, right? You have to really be ready to make that decision, whether something, and it could be, you know, a stepping stone, a turning point, something that's happened, right? But that you are ready to move on from it. And you are ready to, what I say, forgive, right? Forgive, when you're forgiving, you're actually giving it to others, right? A story, once we've processed things, I love the the power of forgiveness because it's, it then becomes forgiving for others to actually have as medicine. And so what I mean by that is if you are somebody that's like, what are some things that I can do? Well, if you can think of any pivotal moment in your life that's contributed to who you are today, if you're in the middle of a breakup right now, if you're in the middle of, you know, you got betrayed by your best friend or by your business partner, and you're still feeling anger and and sadness and and grief towards all of that, maybe that's not the story you want to share because maybe you're not ready to let that go. But maybe it was a a death or um, something that you didn't get into med school or some failure happened early in life. You got an F on that test, so you couldn't go into engineering. But now you are starting your amazing career and it wouldn't have been because of that F, that F that was a perceived failure back then. But now it's turned into some fruit and now it's turned into an amazing point. So first, think of what was the pivotal point of your journey that you have been through that has contributed to why you are here today. Second, what was the positive aspect that happened as a result of the perceived failure or the perceived, the destructiveness or the the bad relationship, right? Or the fight. What was a positive thing that came out of it? And I think that, you know, if you can get started with these two points, and of course, the, the, the very first, so this would be three things. The very first thing is to decide whether or not you are ready to share a particular story. Because if you are not, that's okay. Not everything is for other people. And, you know, we see this all the time when 10 years later or 20 years later, people are coming out and sharing a very visceral something bad happened to them when they were like five or six years old. And now they want to share the story. And that's okay because they've had that awakening. They've had that awareness like, oh, my story can be somebody else's medicine. So no story is ever too late or or never expires. It just depends on what is it that you want people to learn from the story? Because some people can use stories to manipulate others and to use it in a a way to enhance their victimization. We talk about storytelling and sharing story to build trust. And vulnerability builds trust. It builds connection. It, It allows people the permission to say, ah, okay, I connect with BJ, even though BJ and I may look different, may, may, may think differently, but, but that story of his father, that's the same story that I grew up with. And there's an immediate connection. There's an immediate trust and there's an immediate perspective on the listener's life. And that's what makes it powerful. 
Yeah. So a couple of things. So the first one is you said, you know, share the story when you are really ready, you know, when you feel that you are ready, right? So, but some people for some of the stories, as you mentioned, you know, they might uh, take really, really long time than they should, you know, actually be taking to put it out there. Are there some of the reasons I would like to understand on why people would take like really, really long time? You can draw example from your own life on, you know, to say, hey, what are the things that stops people? I think what, what I'm trying to understand here is one thing is obviously that when you are going through the pain or when you are going through the story, then you might, you are not yet over it and you don't want to put it out there as yet. But also at the same time, you never made peace with that and it keeps going on and on for like years hunting yourself and you never feel like, you know what, I'm not yet sharing it out. Maybe is there anything that stops uh, and makes it like a really, really long time there? Yeah. So I think that that's a beautiful point that you just brought out. I think that a lot of times if we're going through something and, and something's very life changing and we have zero uncertainty of how the ending is going to look like, there are, there are two points to really think about. And I can share this even with my, in my own story, you know, in my, in my first marriage, I was in a very, you know, it was abusive, physically, emotionally destructive relationship. For a while, I was the victim inside of that story, right? It wasn't until I started doing my own healing, it started processing, I started, you know, I finally got that divorce after nine months of hiding and living in other people's homes. You know, there was a while where I had all of my things in my car. I had such ego and pride and shame and guilt. A lot of times people have shame and guilt around their stories of, wow, how, how come I was in, in this? I, you know, I used to go to galas that supported battered women, all of these things. And how can an accomplished woman like myself get in such a crazy situation? And so I had to heal within myself first before I started sharing perspectives. Because the Nita back then would have shared a very different perspective than the Nita right now. And I think it's very important to take responsibility as the storyteller of what is ready to be shared, right? In that moment of me trying to decide whether I should stay or leave, that was a very visceral moment and catalytic moment in my life. And so I think that a year later when I started my nonprofit to help uh, South Asian women heal from their traumas of their past and have confidence and have self-love, that's really when it started to happen because guess what? I started to learn and listen to a lot of other women sharing their stories and sharing their stories of where they were still stuck, whether it was, and I call, I talk about three different mindsets, but it's victim, survivor, and then thriver, right? Victim is when it's all about yourself. You've lived through something. Survivor is when you've, you've survived, you know, I've survived the riots of whatever I've survived the Holocaust you've survived through something really tragic and horrific, right? And thriving is when you're flourishing and you are now flourishing and you can actually pay it forward to somebody else. And so once you get to that mindset of thriver, you have a different perspective of what the situation that you had gone through allows you to then share for other people. Right. But I think some of the major things that hold people back, like you were saying, Vijay, is the fact that there's shame, there's guilt, and there's what will people think of me? There's judgment. And how will I be perceived? You know, this is, there's a, a huge example of this with the Me Too movement, right? People were criticizing yeah. others 
in terms of why are you sharing this now? This happened 10 years ago. This happened 15 years ago. But, you know, the idea is when does a story become insignificant because of time? And can we have more grace as human beings and grace in humanity in terms of, you know, when people are ready to come forward? And you often see this in movements. Uh, We have a movement happening in the world right now in different ways, right? So when somebody stands up against something, it could be one person, but, and that person is being brave and courageous to put themselves out there to share something that will kind of rock the boat. They will be judged for, they will be shamed for, but they know themselves that it is ready to get out in the world. Guess what? That's how movements are started. That's how galvanizing other people are started. That's how protests happen, right? So your voice can actually create a movement just like the Me Too movement that then sparked an interest throughout the globe uh, because somebody else decided to go first and they put all of the insecurities and the shame and the judgment and the guilt aside because their voice was going to be very important and they had made peace with that already to share. Yeah. I love the you know part about going and uh, sharing your story and you know when you have made a peace with this and then you don't want anyone else to go through the same pain that you have went and you want to pass that forward so that people don't have to go through the same pain and people start talking about it right so you know one of the things that you have mentioned about is let me discuss further on the marriage that you said right so the painful or abusive relationship that you were in and you said you know after nine months of that, and you decided to get out of that, right? But uh, in the Asian culture, especially in India, and uh, you know, the, your dad comes from India, and you have that certain values, and your mom also comes from the part of Asia in Philippines, right? So now coming from this, and there's like a huge, huge, huge social pressure of uh, being judged uh, in you know our part of the world. Now, how does one? coming from the environment like this and the culture like this, and it's totally different in the West, right? I mean, it's, to- it's still accepted to a certain extent in, in the West, but in the Asia, in our culture, like it's really, really huge thing to say that, you know what, I'm walking out of this relationship, it's abusive and whatever. And there are people like nine years or 19 years of their entire life. And like, if you ask the people in my parents' um, generation, then like they would say like, we got married. That means it's for forever. Even if, you know, it's abusive, even if it's whatever, there is no second option. Right. So how does one make that flip off the switch and say that, you know what, it's about me, as you said, it's not about anyone else, but putting yourself first. How does that flip of the switch happens? Yeah, I think that there's in all respect to, to people who endured a tumultuous relationships, but I think it comes back down to your values as a human and, you know, values in terms of what do you value? Do you value that there should be justice? There should be equal respect among all people, right? And how, what is that priority of that value over family values, let's just say? Because if there is a fundamental value switch of, wow, I don't deserve, my self-worth is so important, I don't deserve to be treated in this way, or my happiness is so important, I don't deserve to be living in this way. I see so many women, especially now that I'm a mother, uh, so many women think that they have to become martyrs in their relationships. And, and of course, even in the Desi culture and even in Asian culture, 
uh, everything is for the man, everything is for your husband. Um, and you are the person to make that person happy. Right. But then at the end of the day, we, we see so many mothers who then live their lives for their children and they grow up, you know, we all have aunties who are so resentful, who, you know, they project their own unhappiness onto you. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why do you eat this? Why do you? And it's just projecting their own unhappiness because they were never able to give themselves a chance to live into what they've desired or what they've wanted, or even figure out what that even looks like, because it was all about other people. And I think for so long, I also was that way because I was brought up that way. I think, you know, um, having gone through a lot of loss before I was 19, uh, which is a, a huge part of my story, really seeing how I had to make everyone else happy because my father was going through a deep depression. He had lost his wife and he had lost his son, my brother, uh, in the span of a year. And he was going through this, my Desi Indian Punjabi father, and he had no idea what to do. He, he wanted to act with pride and ego, but he was so broken. And, and I thought that I had to be that person to martyr myself and my needs and my wants, because I didn't know any better. But that only created a really bad cycle. So for when I finally realized that I needed to just fully shift everything in my, what I believed and really say in order to just kind of like the Buddha saying, right, to pour into everybody else, you have to fill your cup up first. And that's what he says, right? And, and we, we get this analogy even on the airplane, right? Put your mask on first before you help other people. And that's such a pivotal moment and shift in my life where I need to put my oxygen mask on first. I'm not taking care of myself. How could I even take care of anybody? And that was really the shift. And did it, did it cause a ruckus? Did it shake the boat? Did I lose some family members in the beginning who said, I don't believe in, in what you're doing. I don't stand for what you're doing. And I was able to take that risk. It was a hard risk. And there are still family members in India right now who still won't talk uh, to me and that was, you know, something that happened, I think, like now, uh, you know, eight years ago. And that's, I've made peace with that. Yeah. So, Nita, as you mentioned, uh, you know, you lost both of your parents and your brother. And um, you really tried to hide that and run away from that grief rather than, you know, embracing it and facing it. You tried to run away for almost a decade. And after that, you realized, you know what, I'm going to face it. I'm going to deal with this pain. And I'm going to embrace my story, right? So how has this experience of embracing and dealing your pain has changed your approach to the way you look at any pain or discomfort, emotional discomfort that you face today in your life? I think that given what I teach every day now is we have to look at pain as a red flag. We have to, because most of the time as humans, we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid pain and we want to go to pleasure, right? And that's why we're, yeah. we have a lot of these addictions. Some people have addictions on their TV. Some people have addictions on their phone. Some people have food addictions, right? But these addictions are brain telling us that we want more dopamine. We want more dopamine, which is why we start to swipe and we swipe on Instagram and we keep doing that because it numbs our brain because there is something that we are avoiding that it can really distract us from the pleasure that we want to feel that we get from on our devices or food or eating or watching TV or whatever. 
versus really looking at the discomfort that lies within, right? That lies right here and around us. And so that's where the work begins. And now I use the the form of grit, right? I use it, of course, in my book, it's an acronym, but it's really one of the most fundamental methodologies that we have in either our trainings and our institute, but even when I give my talks, because in order for us to have that change, we have to look at the grit and the experiences in our life. That's telling us, okay, we have to focus on this. It's kind of like if you have, for those of you who are listening, if you have a child uh, and I have a toddler, uh, when he is pulling my leg and he's screaming and crying and he wants something and I'm busy because I'm trying to do something on my phone, but he's going to keep screaming and crying. And sometimes he'll throw himself on the floor and he'll be like kicking up and down, banging his head. But he, he wants something. He needs something. That is my red flag. That is my uh, reminder that I have to look at him and say, okay, what, what's wrong, honey? What do you want? And may, maybe most of the time he wants a snack. But if I were to ignore him completely, then of course, he'll only get even angrier and angrier and angrier. And so of course, the problem grows. So I think that, and of course, kids are our teachers, right? We learn from them every single day. But I think the point that I'm trying to make in this analogy here is our problems and our emotional pain points um, can show up in disagreements with our loved ones, disagreements with our friends, even the way that uh, we are making decisions, right? We, we might have a bad day. If you've ever peeled away what that bad day looked like, right? You, you, you spill your chai on your shirt, you get your shirt dirty, then you go into your office, you didn't have time to change your shirt, so then somebody's making fun of you, Maybe you trip over something and then you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be the worst day ever. <laughs> you know, so so, of course, it catapulted. But what if each of those were just a reminder of a red flag that just tells you, hey, let's recalibrate. Let's maybe take a moment to breathe. Let's maybe take a moment to restart this day over and meditate for maybe three minutes and just release all of that negativity, that the energy that's kind of percolating. Maybe we need to release it kind of take that mental shower and restart and, and recalibrate, right? And so I look at a lot of the problems or difficult situations now as an opportunity to look within and say, okay, this is coming up. This, there's definitely this means that a change is on the horizon. Something beautiful is happening as a result. I can choose to avoid it or I can choose to look at it and give myself the time to reflect and say, what is it that I'm avoiding right now? What is it that I need to remind myself? And most of the time, it's really that you're going too fast, that you need to take a moment, that maybe there's some hard conversations that you need to have, or just time for self-reflecting, because that's something that we often forget to do when we're high achieving all the time. I think that's a very, very powerful suggestion there, Nita, because, you know, one of the things that I have uh, discovered myself the past year was I have been asking questions to people on this podcast all the time. And then I realized I have never stopped to ask questions to myself about my emotions, about the way I was thinking and the actions that I was taking in my life. Hey, 
why you know is it coming up and what is important to me right now and uh, you know where does this emotion comes from so i never stopped and that was such a huge huge realization for me and i think you know as you mentioned the reflection and just taking that pause and asking myself and acknowledging the uh, the emotion that is coming out you know uh, from inside and something that's up there that's such a such a powerful you know tool there and um, we talk a lot about you know self compassion right we talk a lot about being empathetic obviously for the you know how do you become empathetic and i think it begins from self compassion and i think this is where your self compassion and start um you know accepting yourself begins would you like to share something from starting to acknowledge your emotions and feeling and then build on that to be more and more compassionate to yourself it goes back to one of the frameworks that i teach uh, every day and basically throughout the world. And it's been one of the most fundamental frameworks to help people with this concept. And it's the GRIT framework, but I use GRIT as an acronym. And it goes back to, if we, if we go in and start with G, right? G is your ability to grow. And when you are saying yes to growth, you're saying yes to new opportunities. You're saying yes to new possibilities. And you're saying yes to growing yourself. And that means that you are aware. You're aware of how you want to show up. You're aware of how you want to better yourself, whether it's bettering yourself for your community, your family, your significant other, or just you. So that means you're more aware of the things and the stories that are playing out in your mind. Maybe even some of the limiting beliefs or the things that have held you back in the past, and you want to start changing them. And so then what happens is when we start to grow ourselves, maybe it's growing uh, a new habit or a new hobby or our side business or something, we start to reveal. We start to reveal, which is the R, we start to reveal what is happening, which means that either we accept our reality, we accept that, okay, I am aware that I'm having these negative feelings. And it's, we start activating and revealing different parts of our brain where we want to do something about it. We want to actually make a different decision. And, and when we're revealing a different aspect of ourselves after we've decided to grow, right, that's yeah. when we start to innovate. Because the mm. I is we start to innovate. And what that really allows us to do is we start to make commitments to change. Because mm -hmm. it all starts by being able to accept where we are at, which is part of the reveal process. But when we are committed to innovating or taking that time to commit to ourselves, whether it's, okay, I'm going to take an hour for myself a week and I am going to either listen to a course, listen to a podcast, read a book and get better at managing my emotions or pick up a, a gratitude practice. This is the commitment that I am taking, which is allowing me to innovate as a human. And then finally, the T stands for transformation. Transformation only happens when we are able to take action. So what is that action? Is it uh, three times a week that you're going to be doing this? Is it how many months are you going to be doing this? Is it for 90 days? Is it for 30 days? And the same thing for if we wanted to lose five kgs, right? We would make a plan and we would either have an accountability partner, we would have metrics to decide what are we doing, how are we planning to take action for the transformation to occur. And so that is the grit process. 
I love the way, you know, you have uh, designed that acronym and also how it evolves from, you know, you deciding to grow and then, you know, it ends with the transformation that, uh, you know, you can have in your life. So I want to switch a little bit of our gears here and, um, uh, you know, the kind of challenges that you have went in your life, right? I could only imagine how much painful was it? And especially you were 19 years old when you lost both of your parents and your brother. And uh, what I would like to understand from you is how have your understanding about resilience, the capacity to bounce back from the challenges has evolved over all these years. Now, let's say the understanding that you had at that 19-year-old kid of bouncing back from the challenges versus you know, where you are today, how that understanding has evolved over these years. I never thought that I would actually be in the position having conversations with you and teaching other people to to grow their grid and build their resilience and really build their emotional health. I think it really, the 19-year-old girl was just trying to figure things out and she was just trying to survive. And she didn't realize that all of the lessons of her life up until 19 years old that she had accumulated would actually later on propel her to take the stories to be somebody else, to be the medicine for somebody else, right? So I think that a lot of times the things that we have gone through, we don't necessarily know how that's going to play out. And for me at that point, I just wanted to heal. I just wanted to be normal like everyone else. That whole painful journey started when I was 10 years old. So for nine years, I was in and out of hospitals, taking care of family members, grieving. I just honestly wanted to be normal. And I didn't even know what normal looked like because most of my weekends were spent in hospital settings. And that's literally how I grew up during my teen years when everyone else is at concerts and music halls and malls and things like that. I didn't have to do that, right? I I didn't have get the chance to do that. So I think that part of that girl wanted normalcy, but also that girl was ready to go to dental school. And that's really you know, the beginnings of wanting to achieve, wanting to make my deceased parents proud. And so that led me on a overachieving track, which, which then led me to burn out. But I would not ever regret any aspect or any part of it, because that is all part of my journey that I can share with all of you listening. And I think that once we understand the journey that we are going on, the path that we are going on, and for me, it was very crystal clear once I decided to leave my first profession, uh, which was the profession of, of dentistry, to really share my story and to really invest in different opportunities and things because I really focused on growth. And so now looking at resilience, I, I look back and I, I tie in all of the moments of the paths that have got me to come to even sitting in front of you face to face on this show right now. And that's the beauty of being able to look inside of your life, all of the points that has led you to where you are today, no matter how big or how small. So if you were to look back at the 19 year olds, you know, who might be listening to this podcast right now and maybe going through either the loss or the grief like you did or any other challenges or hitting the rock bottom in their life, what would you advise them or what would you really say them? Yeah, I would say you are exactly where you need to be, whether it's rock bottom, whether it's feeling alone, lonely, isolated, you are ready to look up 
and you are ready to keep moving one step at a time. This is not a race. It's a marathon. And the fact that you're listening to this show today tells me and tells everyone that you are on the right path, that this may have been just exactly what you needed in just the right moment. So keep focusing on growing yourself and focus on healing some of the things that have happened. Because I love this phrase, and I really wish somebody told me this when I was 19. But, you know, life doesn't just happen to you. It happens for you, which means that there is a lesson coming. And you might not realize how it all comes together in the big puzzle right now, but be patient and keep working on yourself. I love that. Now, Nita, you advocate a lot about the emotional intelligence and becoming, developing your EQ. So how can people start developing their emotional intelligence? Yeah, so I would share just a couple of things that you can really get started. A lot of times we have things happen in our day. We get so challenged. We get annoyed. We get angry. We get frustrated. And because we don't have a proper toolkit of how to alleviate those emotions, how to manage our emotions, sometimes it consumes us. And then you're like, ah, I don't want to do anything or I'm a failure or, you know, then we have negative speak to ourselves. And I have this technique, which is called FORMOS, and and any of you can do this, but there's reason and, and, you know, there's scientific backing around this, but FORMOS stands for movement, music, mantras, and meditation. And you can create this yourself. I actually have a, a video on this as well, but you can create this yourself. When you are stressed, right, what happens when you just start to dance? And you have a playlist where, and, and of course, for those of you who go to the gym or, or, you know, have a specific playlist when you are going for a long walk or a run, we have music that elevates our mood, right? And so that's the same thing to be able to move your body so that it shakes the energy up. Because uh, as Tony Robbins says, you know, emotion is just energy in motion, right? And so if we don't like the emotion that we are going through, right? then we can go ahead and try to move that energy up, right? Imagine if you were sitting at a desk for eight hours a day, you're going to feel sluggish. You're going to feel, feel tired. You're going to feel irritated because you've been sitting down. That's all that energy that needs to move. So imagine if you just started doing 10 jumping jacks to get the energy flowing and releasing all of the pent up staleness that you've been sitting down for eight hours in the day, right? So that's just one example of movement. But then we get into music, playlists. What are the playlists for? We have playlists for meditation. We have playlists for your Bhangra dance music if you're going to somebody's yeah. wedding, right? We, <laughs> we have playlists for uh, chill. Maybe you're inviting friends over and you just want to chill. What is your playlist for getting you out of a funk, getting you out of stressful state. And it could just be two songs, but you know that if you're going to play those two songs, it's going to instantly get you motivated or instantly get you happy, right? And then let's go into mantras. Mantras are amazing. And, uh, and I'm not talking about religious mantras. You can do that as well, but I'm talking about affirmations, right? So mm. a lot of times subconsciously our brain works 
when we tell them, when we tell the brain the things that we want to hear more of, right? So if you grew up learning and listening that your father was always saying, oh, you're never going to be anything. You're not going to be as smart as your cousin, you know, Mitra, or uh, she's so much smarter than you, or, or your brother is, is better than you. Look at, he skipped two grades, et cetera, et cetera. Then you need a new mantra. You need a new mantra that says, you are amazing. You are enough. You are just exactly where you need to be. So develop your own. And the beauty of this exercise is you can pick your own and you can change it at any time. There's so much research on the power of mantras in what you are talking about, because when we have our thoughts, our thoughts change our beliefs, right? And that the beliefs change our actions that we do. So if you want to get better at getting up at 5 a.m., what are you going to say to yourself? What is that mantra that you are going to say to yourself? I am amazing and I get up at 5 a.m. because I focus, I devote myself to self-care. Whatever that is, for everybody, it's going to be different. There's something on my wrist that I wear uh, every day, and that's my mantra, and that is to serve love. And mm. it's such a powerful word or, or phrase for me that now we share in all of our things that we do, but it's to serve love. And so that's my mantra of, am I serving love to the people that I speak to, teach, coach, uh, in every day, what does that look like for me? And that's my reminder for myself. So if you don't have a power verse or a mantra, then start thinking about that. And then lastly, of course, meditation. Meditation is, I mean, from two minutes, 30 seconds, three minutes. I used to do 20 minutes before I was a mother. Uh, <laughs> now I don't get that mm -hmm. much time. But anytime yeah. you can basically shake the gunk that's in your head that yeah. will allow you to come from a different place. And then we get uh, to A. So four MOS is the acronym. I love acronyms. But A is the appreciation. If you can actually create a journal and have a journal of just three things that you appreciate every single day. And it's just a, it's just a gratitude list. But that's your appreciation. Yeah. And you can always go back to it. And lastly is sense um, or sensory experiences which means maybe you come home, you have a fuzzy pair of socks or pajamas, maybe your sweatshirt that makes you feel uh, comfortable, cozy, perhaps it's incense or agarbati or essential oils, something that brings you to a state of calm and you can actually even take with you anywhere, which is why, you know, if you smell somebody's perfume or cologne, it triggers us to either have an attraction for them because they smell good but what about your mom's cooking? You know, that famous dish mm. that she was making when you were a baby um, and you still have that yeah. aroma, that scent. And you're like, ah, this is the joys of home cooking. You know, anytime I feel sad or if I, I, I always try to make my dad's, you know, uh, rajma, chawal or kitchari, because those were the two things that he made for me when I was sick as a child. Right. And so these are things that are sensory experiences that also help manage your emotional state or if you're going through a funk for us. Those are really practical tips for people out there and, uh, you know, affirmations, like they are really, really powerful. So on the last episode itself, I had Pallavi who had, uh, like literally she has created her health resume that says she has gone 48 cycles of, uh, you know, radiations and she has gone like, you know, eight times in ventilators and six times in ICU and so on and so forth. And I asked Pallavi, you know, Pallavi on this entire recovery, uh, what percentage would you give to the mindset and the positivity and how much percent would you like to give to the uh, you know, treatment and the doctors and all of that stuff. And uh, she came back saying 
80% of, uh, you know, the entire recovery that I had uh, was my mindset and the determination and the positive words that I'm feeling on my head. And 20% was that. And I think that was like really, really powerful. And, uh, you know, we often times, a lot of our conversation with ourselves are, is negative. We are constantly, you know, saying, am I good enough? Am I really, you know, capable of this? Am I, and, you know, self-doubts and that negativity. And that really manifests into the reality. And that's, that's such a, and I think that's just that one understanding that, you know, that I think shifts a lot for, uh, you know, people listening to this, uh, you know, podcast. All right. So Nita, it has been an amazing conversation. Now I have this segment called Enlightening Round. And uh, this is where I'm going to ask you the questions and you can give, you know, shorter answers. Are you ready for this? Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So Nita, what inspires you to do everything that you do today? Wow. I think the people that I serve, the direct messages, uh, Instagrams, emails, that people share their stories from all over the world every single day. And that's really my inspiration that the world needs more of this work. Super. So which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? I think that it is my ability to just journal every single day, no matter what. And now even my journal entries look like leaving voice notes for myself because either I'm walking and walking my son on a stroller, but it allows me to process my thoughts. And it allows me to even go back and see even some small progress that I've made for something that I wrote down two or three years ago. And that's just been that habit that has been in many ways contributed to, you know, three books that I've written and so many things that I've been able to do for my community, just because I've been able to capture a daily dialogue of thoughts. So how do you do that? Do you do that on the notepad in the paper or pen? How, how do you do that? What's, yeah. what's your general practice? So my time is obviously limited. So I have to capture every single time, every single moment that I have. But usually I will do 10 minutes of just sort of writing my thoughts down on paper, uh, whether it's my own catharsis of, of coaching uh, myself, went into a situation and I need to release whatever the situation was, writing it all on paper, or it's just saying something that really was profound that I got inspired by either a client or somebody that wrote to me or something like that. And if I can't write it out on my paper, usually now I record myself on audio. So now it's audio journaling. And for those of you who don't have time to write or don't really have it as a practice, that could also be something as well, because you listen to those voice notes or you can always transcribe it later and you have a docket of things and you'd be surprised how much of it could be useful in content or lessons or things like that. Absolutely. So could you share a book or two that has influenced you personally in the recent past? There's a few. So I, I'd have to say I just finished reading Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which was beautifully written. It's a memoir book. It's done really well. The other one is Atomic Habits. And, and I keep talking about this, but I think it's a book that we all can get better habits. Um, and that's inspired so much in the way even we help our clients because habits are everything. And, uh, and it's by uh, James Clear. So Atomic Habits. Super. So I know that, you know, you have already mentioned this saying that I wouldn't change anything about, you know, the journey that I've went through. So the novel question that I asked to people is, hey, if you were to start this journey all over again, what are those three things that you would have done differently? But I would like to tweak that question a little bit and ask you, what are those three things that you wish you had known earlier in your life? 
so I would say I wish I knew that I could fail and failing is feedback. And I wish I knew that failure was okay back then when I was starting any sort of journey, even in school journey. I think that would have helped me speak out more. So failing fast uh, is one, two, speaking out and not being afraid that you're going to be judged, Uh, not being afraid that you don't have the right answers, but just to speak out. I think that in school, we're taught to memorize things. And this is very, very early on. And I never joined debate. And so I think that uh, some of those lessons came much later. And third, part of me wishes I did join the debate club because that would have helped garner a lot of different perspectives and really think of you have your opinion and somebody else will always have their opinion. And that is okay. That should be encouraged. And that other people's opinions are okay, especially if you are trying to build an audience online, because that will really help you with trolls and people and naysayers and and people who don't necessarily agree with you. And I think that dialogue is is okay. So those are the three things I wish I learned earlier. What's your superpower? So my ability to connect and gather people together and inspire them to do better. Awesome. So could you share some online tool or app that you use on a regular basis that helps you maybe in becoming better organized or disciplined or things like that? Yeah, so I actually really love the Calm app. Um, And I love it for so many reasons, but the Calm app has five minute, 10 minute meditations, guided meditations, and for sleep, uh, especially if you have so many ideas before you go to sleep, it even tells you a bedtime story literally for adults where you get into some deep sleep and it just improves the quality of sleep. So the Calm app is amazing. Super. So I have one last question, Nita, for you. But before I ask you that question, if people would like to reach out to you and learn more about you, what is the best possible way to get in touch with you? So yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Send me a DM. I reply to all messages. That's where I hang out the most. And you can catch my daily stories of what uh, I'm doing, creating, coaching, speaking about on Instagram at, uh, at Nita Bhushan. Super. I'll link that up on the description and all the resources that Nita has mentioned on the description of this episode. So Nita, here's the last question for you. You do fair bit of speaking. So imagine that you are standing on a stage of a stadium and this one is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. And there are millions and millions of people on that stadium eagerly and passionately waiting to listen to you. And you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? I would say that your story is so powerful and your story has the ability to heal. It has the ability to start movements. It has ability to change people's lives. And your story starts with you. It has been phenomenal having this conversation with you, Nita. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Vijay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Inspiring Talk Podcast. I really enjoyed having this conversation with Nita and hope you learned something from her journey and got some inspiration to share your story and become more vulnerable. You can access show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 9292. 
It would mean a lot to me if you could share this episode with someone who needs to hear this. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at the rate Vijay Speaks. Let's get connected. And finally, thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.